uh, welcome everybody. Welcome to Sunday School, and it's good to see everybody. Uh, and uh, welcome to you online as well. We appreciate uh, you being with us today, and uh, a warm welcome to everyone. Uh, and if those people drift in and they sit close to you and you see they don't have a handout, remind them the handout's out in the front. Uh, we do get some people that drop in a little later. want to make sure they have the handout. And it's helpful to have the handout because I'm going to give you a lot of detail, a lot of wordy things, and much of it is on the handout. So that really helps. Uh, then if you didn't understand what I said or got a question, feel free to ask any time. Um, we are going to talk about, we're in Colossians 2, verses 8 through 23. We've been looking at the four warnings in this passage on uh, from Paul. And the first one was very long because it was through verse 15, but we finished that. That was false philosophy. And then uh, we did legalism last week, and we started to get into law, license, and liberty. And uh, the uh, um, we ran out of time, so we're going to review that and also talk about two, two, uh, two different to have a, a page on license and a page on uh, um, liberty. We're going to go through that. And then um, on your handout, the blue page, there is uh, a couple of paragraphs on angel worship on page two. But we probably won't get to that today. So what we'll do is open in prayer and get started. And then we'll uh, read a couple of verses. Um, we're going to read all four verses. We're going to read uh, 16 and 17 and 18 and 19. If you want to turn to Colossians 2, um, that would be helpful. And uh, we'll have an opening prayer. Yes. Oh, you were raising, you were scratching. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I missed Cindy's hand raising. I missed my own wife's hand. She was raising her hand. People had to tell me the, the other day. So I'm trying to be more uh, a, a better about looking at hand raising there. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of looking at your word. I pray that you would be with us this morning, that your spirit would uh, help us individually and together understand what um, you what you had Paul say to the Colossians um, over 2,000 years ago. And we thank you, Father, for the uh, Word of God. We thank you for the book of Colossians. We thank you for the study we've had. I thank you for each person that's here. Pray your blessing upon us as we look at your Word. We pray for those at home. We pray for those that are ill. We pray for those that need comfort and encouragement that you would be with them. And pray for the service to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so we are in Colossians 2. And um, Chuck's going to read verse 16 and 17 if you'll follow along here. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. So the next lesson is going to be on 18 and 19. Richard is going to read verses 18 and 19 for us. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and a worshiping of angels, 
intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joint and band have been nourished with minister, and knit together, increaseth with the increase of the God. Thank you so much. Okay. So if you'll turn to your blue handout, um, page one. We'll, I just want to review here. Um, you can see on the big outline that uh, the passages from Colossians 2, uh, Paul's warning against heresy, 2, 8 through 23. And we're on verses 16 and 17. We did some of this last week. What I want to do is is review what we said here and then uh, on the on the blue handout and then go to some of the extra handouts that I gave you the the chart and then there are two two additional pages there. Uh, they're in white. They look like this. I wrote all over mine. <laughs> so it looks like that. So I'll show you again when we get to it. So warning against legalism verses 16 and 17, uh, as was just read, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to read a lot of the quotes and things. I'm just going to do a, a summary here. Um, this, look at number A under that diamond, warning against legalism. See the diamond there, verse 16a. What I've learned is when I come across the word therefore, it means that whatever is going to follow that therefore is affected or based upon or has to do with what came before it. It's like an, kind of like an argument uh, that you would say, this happened, this happened, and that happened. Therefore, it means uh, as a result of or in light of the previous. So in this case, it's referring to the removal of the ceremonial law and also and its rituals as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ's triumphant victory on the cross over sin, death, and the grave. And also, it's founded upon the sufficiency of Christ, and uh, which we have talked about quite a long time before. And Paul is saying, we don't need anything else but Christ. Christ is sufficient. His accomplishment on the cross is sufficient for our salvation alone. We don't need <clears throat> the law plus that. We don't need philosophy plus Christ's atonement. We don't need um, philosophy. We don't need works. We don't need angel worship. We don't need um, works. We don't need anything plus. We just need Christ alone. It's sufficient for our salvation. Um, let's look at... Um, so essentially... Uh, he was really saying there's no need to go back. You just, you're out, you're, you're saved. You were saved by Christ. You don't need to go back to the Old Testament Mosaic law and rituals and ceremonies. And let's look at verse 16. 
they were not to allow anyone to judge the word judge. They were not to allow anyone to uh, judge them and uh, whether they were following the Old Testament rituals, observances, and practices and, uh, that were in the Mosaic Law. And that included the dietary regulations, and that's meat. He characterizes that as meat, which is food or eating. And then drink, which is whatever they drank. Um, and the holy days and new moon and Sabbath days, and I didn't realize this until I looked at this again or I'd forgotten it. Holy days was annual. Uh, new moon were monthly observances. And then Sabbath days were weekly feast that they observed. Paul is saying that no one can be permitted to make <coughs> excuse me <coughs> no one can be permitted to make such things a test of their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ or piety or his fellowship with them. That's a quote from Vaughn. And then uh, John Eady <coughs> I like this quote he said the new covenant under Christ is too free and exuberant to be trained down to times and seasons. Its feast is daily, for every day is holy. <coughs> Sorry. Allergic to my own teaching, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's, it's, he, he said, for every day is holy. Its moon never wanes. Its serene tranquility is an unbroken Sabbath. In other words, every day is glorious with the Lord and to be, is wonderful. And shadow of things to come, see, is verse 17, where he says, uh, let no man judge you in those things which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Uh, the body, meaning the substance, is of Christ. Now, uh, and then I quoted uh, Dr. Curtis Vaughn, who said, In Christ, the things to come have come. The Lord is here, the substance of all of those things that were portrayed. And if you remember, I read a quote from Dr. McGee, who said that he gave the illustration of having married two young people during World War II down in Pasadena and the one lady had the great big purse and she carried the picture that was big enough for a wall and she would pull that out and show it to all of her friends and say, this is my, this is my husband all during the war. But when, she, but when he came back, she went to meet him up in uh, Seattle was where the troop ship came in. So she went to meet him. She didn't take that picture because she had the real thing. I love that illustration. He talked about how she drove everybody crazy pulling that picture out and said he was, look how handsome my husband was. And he wasn't quite handsome. <laughs> he, he, it, was, it was funny. It was, um, uh, he, he has that southern uh, humor and drawl, which I get a kick out. So, so we have... Um, let's look out uh, okay these things shadow things to come but the bodies of Christ these things in verse 16 were a shadow all of those celebrations all of the all of the observances the sacrifices all of that stuff 
foreshadowed Christ. They pointed to Christ coming. But he's come now, so you don't need to go back to them. So we have the fulfillment uh, and, the, and the substance of the shadow that was portrayed. So the things to come have come. Christ has come. Um, let me read a quote here that I, one quote that I read last week I would like to read to you here. Um, this is uh, Charles Erdman. He said, the most mosaic institutions were of great value. <clears throat> they set forth the need of holiness, the need for pardon, and the need of purity. They pointed to a great high priest, Christ, and to a perfect atonement. They contained a promise of fellowship with God. They symbolized the rest and peace of a true spiritual experience, yet they constituted only a shadow, a picture. The real substance is in Christ and within the gift of Christ. The body is Christ and him can be found and from him can be received all the blessings typified, foreshadowed by the ceremonial laws of the Jews. However, when someone insists that certain ceremonials must be observed when he declares that his forms of worship are necessary to salvation, then he must be rejected in the interest of Christian liberty and of truth. Christ alone is the author of salvation. Faith in him is the sole or only essential. To insist upon the necessity of a rite or ceremony is to displace Christ and to deny his claims. Let no one substitute a shadow, forgetting that the body or the substance is Christ. So I, he always he has a gift for summarizing, and I always like to read his th things that uh, can help. Now, what I'd like you to do is we're going to briefly look at this handout here, the one that's got the the charts right here to see the diagrams. Hey, come on in, man. Handout. There's a handout in the back uh, on the on the sh on the uh, in front of the boxes. <clears throat> okay. So what I wanted to show you is the question here in verse 16 that Paul is proposing to them: Are you going to follow law? Or are you going to follow the liberty we have in Christ? And then verse 17: Why look at the shadows? When we have the substance. So shadows or substance. Law or liberty. And then I kind of uh, drew these things out under status, action, focus, quality, law, legal, law or, and legalism, license and liberty. And I'll look at that in just a minute. I want to kind of go over these verses. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Entangle there means burden or oppressed. Um, and, of course, that would be the law. And the yoke of bondage, I, I talked about how yoke actually means the harness, uh, either leather or uh, rope or uh, wooden, like a yoke of oxen, you know, the yoke goes over. It's the, it's the device that's used to help control an animal 
that's been domesticated and on the farm for for service. So bondage means slavery, and it, the implication there is slavery to the law. So Paul is saying, stand fast in the liberty that we have in Christ, because Christ has made us free. And don't be entangled. Don't go back and be entangled or burdened or oppressed by the by slavery to the law. And then Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, you've been called under liberty, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. That's license, un- unrestrained lust and involvement. In, in sinful practices with no, no fear of consequences. And he goes on to say, but by love serve one another. Okay. So I'm kind of building up here to going to look at uh, uh, li- uh, liberty and license, but I wanted to kind of set the 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 um, Stage by doing those verses, and um, MacArthur tells us that um, Galatians five fourteen. Let me read that first. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So in the New Testament, you often hear the, the, the moral law was done away with, but not completely eliminated because those reflect the righteous standards of God. They're incorporated into a higher standard, which is the law of Christ or the law of love often referred to the law of Christ or the law of love. So, for, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And you see, that's, that's our verse for the year up here. So, that's interesting. And then Galatians 5, 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Uh, yes, I, I don't. I don't have those listed. I'm, I'm transitioning from this page. Paul's warning against legalism to the next thing we're going to talk about is uh, liberty. If you want to go to liberty, thank you for asking. But I'm just trying to set the stage for that. So we have some. Some. I've got two quotes. I want to make clear that the law wasn't eliminated and nothing else. Uh, replacing it, but in the new covenant, it's uh, um, I'm trying to build a stage of what replaced all of the law and legal, legal, you know, obeying the law by faith. It was all faith was always there, but now it's faith. So, but everybody wants to go back to the law because in, because if you ask a hundred people. If they think that they're saved, what would you say to the Lord Jesus Christ if he said, why should I let you into my heaven? 95% of them, maybe even 99 would say, I've been good in some way. I've done good things. And no, if you're not saved, you can't do good things. 
because we're sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, um, so it, for in Lord Jesus Christ, either circumcision uh, availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So notice the words faith and working by love. And quoting uh, MacArthur, I wanted to kind of give a couple of quotes uh, according to those uh, verses that really help understand um, what's being said. Um, so when it says, um, for verses 5.13, For brethren, you've been calling to liberty, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So we have Christian liberty. That's how we are to be operating in love. But it says don't use liberty, your freedom in Christ, as a means to re resort to doing whatever you would like to do, uh, feeling that you're not accountable to the Lord. You can just do what you want to do because you have freedom. You know, you tell a person in America they have freedom and they go out at Woodstock and go crazy, right? You know, that's the mindset in America. So individualism is so, so refined. But we've been called under liberty in Christ, only used that liberty not, and the, it's that word occasion means a central base of operations. It's a military term in Greek, and it, and it was used as a military term for a place to operate from. And we used to call it forward operating base. You take all your supplies out there and your, your people and your equipment and your ammunition and your, all the things you need to fight a war and your people and your soldiers, and you operate from there. He says, don't use liberty as an operating base for for uh, sinful practices, but so uh, uh, to uh, an occasion to the flesh, but instead, you, by love, serve one another. So MacArthur says the Greek word for opportunity was of, often used as a central base of military operations. In the context, flesh refers to sinful inclinations or practices of fallen man. The freedom that Christians have is not a base from which they can sin freely and without consequence. But it says in love, they're to serve one another. And MacArthur says Christian freedom is not for selfish fulfillment, but for serving one another. The Lord wants us to show our love for him by serving one another and use that Christian liberty and that freedom to do that. Then regarding uh, Galatians 5, 6, where he says, For in Jesus Christ neither is uncircumcision, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith which worketh by love. So, MacArthur says, quote, Nothing done or not done in the flesh, even religious ceremony, makes any difference in one's relationship to God. So those external things, uh, those things, those practices don't mean anything. What is, he goes on to say, What is external is immaterial and worthless unless it reflects 
genuine internal righteousness. Faith working through love means saving faith proves it is genuine and proves genuine character by works of love. The person who lives by faith is internally motivated by love for God and love for Christ. And that supernaturally issues forth in reverent worship, genuine obedience, and self-sacrificing love for others. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. If we love God, it says we'll love others. You can't love God and not love your brother. You can't love your brother and not love God. John says, you say you love God and don't love your brother. How can you, how can you love God if you don't love your brother? You know, I can love somebody you haven't seen if you don't even love your brother. The powerful argument. Okay, let's go to Christian liberty. So let's move from that page to this page, Christian liberty. Okay. See the one that says Christian liberty? We're good? Everybody got one? They're not numbered one, two, three. Christian liberty is found in the Bible in several concepts. Everybody got it? Too much paper, huh? I should have put them together and numbered them. Sorry. I put them together, but I didn't number them. Okay, so this came from uh, gotquestions.org, and, and um, I adapted it. Okay, so I changed a lot of it. Okay, so there are four things that Christian... What is Christian liberty, you say? Scotty keeps saying that. What does that mean? Okay, so number one, there's four, four concepts in, in, in the New Testament that uh, apply to Christian liberty. So, uh, first, it's that the Christian has been freed from the penalty of sin by faith in Jesus Christ. And you see the scripture there, John 8, 31 through 36. John 8, 31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. As ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's liberty, okay? Now, they answered him and said, We are Abraham's seed, and we and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? So they said, We're not slaves. How can, we be made, how can we be made free? We're already free. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. You're a slave to sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever or ever. Uh, if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He's referring to salvation and being free from the penalty of sin. And in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're saying, Where's liberty in that verse, Scotty? Well, that gift is uh, often even rendered uh, free gift. Um, that, that you know, a gift is free, and that that there, there's the liberty. We have liberty. Sin pays death, but salvation uh, really results in our freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the penalty of sin. We have been freed from the penalty of sin if we're saved. When we're saved, we're also. Uh, freed from the power of sin in our life. So 
looking at the handout number two also Christian liberty can refer to being freed from the power of sin and one's life by daily faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as, as uh, when, when by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of one's character and conduct okay so what does that mean uh, let me read one of the verses here, Romans 6, 5, and 6, and 14. So Romans 6, 5, and 6, and 14. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, speaking of Christ, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, our old nature, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforward we should not serve sin. We're to consider ourselves dead to sin okay uh, and verse 14 for sin shall not have dominion that means power rule or authority over you for you're not under the law but under grace and as we looked at in past weeks uh, when, when we're saved we have a new capacity not additional but a brand new capacity to serve the Lord and obey him because a new nature is, we're given a new nature, we're a new creation, and the Holy Spirit lives within us as well. So whereas the law could not save and not help us, the law can't save us. It just shows us we need to be saved. After salvation, and because of what Christ did, we're a new creation, and we are freed from daily sin because the Lord has given us a new nature. And we don't have to, uh, before we could not please God because everything we did was from that old nature. Our, our natures were made sinful as a result of being descendants of Adam. So we're sinners by inheritance. We're sinners by a practice as well. So uh, character and conduct is a reference to the fact that the Lord enables us to obey him in addition to... Uh, the fact that the Lord helps us to become like Christ. We're to be, we'll look at this in a minute, but we're supposed to be imitators of Christ. Be followers of Christ, that word really is imitator. So we are to develop Christ-like character, and the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. So we're freed from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and then we're freed from the Jewish law of Moses. And in that, that the law only exposes sin in one's life but can't forgive which I just just said Romans 3 20 through 22 therefore the deeds of by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight Romans 3 20 for the law is the knowledge for by the law is the knowledge of sin so the sin makes us aware of being sinners uh, the law makes us aware of being sinners and we know what God's righteous standard is. But now, verse 21, chapter 3 of Romans, but now the righteousness of the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay, so the, we are no longer in bondage to the law. The law 
brings us to Christ, as we read in the passage that talks about the, the laws, our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But once we're saved, then we're under the law of Christ, the law of liberty, uh, the law of love, and we are free in Christ. We still obey those um, standards because the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God, is contained in what the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us to do. Especially this love your neighbor and love the Lord. Those two commandments cover everything. So, And he said both of those, Lord the Lord thy God. So we are freed, though, from the Jewish law because uh, he nullified that on the cross as we read about when we were doing verse 15 and the previously. Okay, number four. Finally, Christian liberty can mean that Christians are freed in respect to such activity that is not expressly forbidden in the Bible. Now, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's important that we go to scriptures and it doesn't say thou shalt not do this. And so, um, and I'll mention, I'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. So we have, therefore one can feel free to engage in activities that's not expressly forbidden with some, ca with some caveats. As long as it doesn't cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble or be offended, uh, or if we can't do it in faith, Romans 14, 12 through 16 tells us. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Uh, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus Christ that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. In other words, if you can't do something in faith and you feel like it's sinning, it's sin. Uh, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, or not lovingly. Destroy him not, don't cause him to sin, with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. So what is he saying there? Let's look at, let's continue, uh, and I think it'll become clear as we go through this paragraph. Under number four, the sentence that begins most, uh, four, four lines down. Most of these activities revolve around do's and don'ts in social situ situations, such as whether or not to wear certain kinds of clothes, makeup, jewelry, tattoo, piercings, uh, practicing things, dancing, um, viewing movies, videos. Sometimes you see smoking and drinking. I think those things was as many people have been killed with alcohol and uh, cigarettes that... Uh, um, those things, since they cause tremendous harm, those are probably sinful, um, I, I believe. Uh, but anyway, there's, I, I've, when I was growing up, these were called doubtful things, things that weren't prohibited by name in Scripture. But there's a number of things here that before you engage in some activity, you need to consider. Uh, 
Romans 14 says, and it's in red and I highlighted, I think, on your handout in yellow. Uh, Romans 14 says, these things may not be strictly prohibited by God's word, but they can be bad. B-A-D for one's spiritual growth or Christian testimony and cause other Christians to stumble. So what's not written in there, I wrote in mind, therefore, uh, my freedom to do those things should be relinquished or given up because I could cause someone to sin if they saw me doing that. Now, this is way too dramatic an illustration, but I was in this church one time and a guy was talking about this area and he was a bit of a a direct type person and he was a new minister and so he's talking and he's preaching then all of a sudden he pulls out a well you couldn't tell but it was a a can of uh, uh, um, beer and just sets it right on the pulpit and then he starts talking he said then he said what's wrong with you guys what do you what do you what are you murmuring about and somebody said well you got a can of beer and he says now see what an image that portrayed would that is that appropriate for me to do that's what the passage is trying to get to. Not everything is appropriate. Um, and of course, that's alcohol. And I already said I didn't think that. But I think that's a good illustration. Some, some, that type of activity can cause someone to do something not in faith and it'd be sin for them. So we need to uh, consider others. Let's look at the... Whatsoever, and remember, whatsoever is not of faith is sin, Romans 14, 23. Uh, so the warning here, furthermore, Christians who tend to vigorously promote those liberties can sometimes fall into a loose lifestyle of undisciplined living. Now that's going to be the third handout we look at. That's license. Okay, so just unrestrained activity, fleshly activity, loose lifestyle of undisciplined living. You can, if we, some people, you could go, here's liberty, and you can err on the side of license. It's doing, well, if I got liberty, I'm really going to have liberty, and they go and do whatever they want. And the mind rationalizes that. You know how people are. They can rationalize anything. If you go the other way, um, he says, while on the other hand, Christians who tend to vigorously limit such liberties can sometimes fall into a legalistic lifestyle of being defined. They're, they're defined by the word they're against it. So, you know, that's they, who they are. Well, they're the ones that are against this. So here's the key thing. It is wise before you engage in some type of uh, activity or a lifestyle or a decision that is not expressly prohibited. You want to go to the Lord in prayer and to the Bible and determine whether that activity is actually forbidden. If it is, then you avoid it. If it's not, then you need to determine how that activity reflects on your reputation as Christian and whether it will help or hinder you in representing Christ. You know, I don't know how, I don't know how many of you, I'm asked for a show of hands in a minute. How many of you, have, you know, as a Christian, have been in the workplace and you did something wrong and one of the coworkers says, I thought you were a Christian. 
Has anybody had that happen to them? That's happened to me. And, and it's, boy, does it make you shame. You're like, okay, Lord, I got that. You know. <laughs> so people look at you. You say you're a Christian, they're going to see if you measure up. They judge you by how you behave in, in the community. So we need to look at, um, we need to consider our reputation because really we're ambassadors for Christ wherever we go. If we say we're Christians, we're ambassadors. How we act, they hold you to a higher standard. And they say, how, did, how dare they judge me? Well, how dare they not judge you? You said you're a Christian. You should be upholding these standards. So look whether it will hinder us or whether it will help us in representing the Lord Jesus Christ to unbelievers and whether it edifies uh, other believers or not. Um, so I was thinking about this um, and, uh, yo, Cindy, Cindy. That well, the fine line is self-determined, and with 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 prayer and um, scriptural principles that apply, and, and, and also the counsel of Christian friends. That's the great thing. Sometimes um, there's there's certainly no one that has a greater perspective on your true self than your spouse. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes asking your spouse, you know, this is going on, what do you think? And usually they have a pretty pretty good grasp of if you're alibying, you know, you're trying to justify or rationalize something. But that, that's a great question because... Well, a lot of visitors to a church will say, oh, you guys do this. <laughs> and they judge you on what they see as the Right, right. Right. And then the first thing they'll say about their old church is, oh, they did this. You know, they, you know, so, so, you know. There's no easy answer to that because if it's not prohibited, then it becomes an interpretation. And, 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 and my thoughts are, if you're really in doubt about doing something, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Because there's no loss. If you, you still have liberty, just because you don't use that liberty in a specific situation and you forego it for the betterment to please, the Bible puts it as pleasing a neighbor, uh, to honor the Lord, not out of works because you feel like you're going to be holier than thou and forsake this, but just you do it uh, out of love uh, and concern for others so that you go the extra mile not to give the wrong impression about and cause someone else to sin or give a bad reputation. If something can be interpreted, it's better not to do it. That's where grace would come in. Yeah. It's better not to do something than to to, uh, to bring a reproach on the Lord's name because we are ambassadors for Christ. Look at the ultimate goal at the bottom of the page there is that the ultimate goal for the Christian should be to glorify God, to edify fellow believers, and to have a good reputation before unbelievers. And Romans 19.14 says, I'm sorry, Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And verse Romans 15.1 and 2 says, We then that are strong, that is those who know and accept that we have uh, liberty, uh, they're called the stronger brother by Paul in Romans 14. So Paul says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. 
those are the ones that uh, don't feel like they can take they don't, I'm not talking about the ones that forsake a liberty, but the ones that think, oh, I can't quite in good conscience do this. So if they did it, it would be sin, because whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. So we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not please ourselves. He's saying, don't do these things that you have liberty to do just because you have a liberty if you know it's going to affect someone else. He said, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good, to edification or being built up in the, in, the, in the faith. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but that it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Christ, when he went to the cross, he certainly didn't please himself. Um, okay, First uh, Peter um, 2, 11 through 12. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul um, and having your conversation or manner behavior honest among Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay. Um, for brethren, you have been called to liberty, only use not liberty as an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. So, doubtful things. Pastor, you had another name for this. What did you call the, that stuff in, that, in this passage? Adiaphora. Okay. Okay. No, doubtful things, disputable things. Disputable, that's right, disputable practices. That's good, thank you. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. So, uh, the... Um, we can engage in activities, we have liberty, that are not prohibited in the Bible. However, we need to consider our testimony and the effect. I wrote out a little chart, so I, this is all together. It's like a little checklist. So you need to consider our testimony and the effect upon the spiritual growth, our own spiritual growth. And we need to consider whether this would cause another person to stumble and... Um, we need to, um, can we ourselves do it in faith? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We need to beware of falling into um, loose, he calls it loose um, lifestyle of undisciplined living, which is uh, feeding the flesh or living in the world, or legalism, which is that, he characterizes that as being against something, and uh, um, getting rigid, we'll never do this, even though it's not projected. Some people will take get a hobby horse on something, so can't can't resort to to uh, um, the license or legalism. But above all, in prayer, seek what God's will is in your life concerning that particular uh, activity. So I wrote this: free to serve, not to sin. Following the Holy Spirit who lives within. Glorify God, build up each other, and through love, serve one another. Okay. Uh, so let's look at um, license. Go to the next, um, the next handout. I wrote a definition of, yes. So basically you're saying if it doesn't glorify God. Yeah. If it doesn't edify yeah. others. If it doesn't build up Yeah, others, right. Then... You know, you, you'd be asking yourself, then, 
And the Lord expects us to refrain from that practice that we don't give offense or cause somebody to stumble. Which is, you know, we are come from such an individualistic society. I have my rights. I can do whatever I want. So I was looking at legalism. I woke up this morning, like at five something in the morning, and for about two hours, I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to go to sleep, but I'm also thinking about a definition for legalism, and because uh, I thought, you know, I need to make it clear what it is, and, and maybe uh, a simplified, not a theological definition. So. What I came up with was um, legalism is practiced by a person that believes that by doing good works or obeying the law, a person earns or merits salvation. That's in its simplest form. So in some way, if I do something good, I can earn or merit salvation. Now, the problem with that is the Lord's already done everything you will ever... There's nothing left for the Lord to do that will, that's needed for your salvation. You already have it all. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. Now, uh, I found a quote by Martin Luther. He said, It is faith without good works and prior to good works. It is faith that takes us to heaven we come to God through faith alone. And we know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It, it, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And verse 10, though, then it says, we do, we're ordained to good works. We, we, we do produce good works after salvation. Um, so legalism is the idea that we're saved in some way by our own efforts, but we know that it's by Christ alone. And we obey, we obey God. We say, well, we obey God. It says, if we love him, we'll obey him, the Lord, Lord's commandments. Well, we obey him because we're in Christ and we're part of his body and our relationship is with him and our, our love is for him. So let's look at license. Now, I've got a definition up here that's really more of just a description. License is a sinful distortion of liberty. It's a concept that one can live, act, or conduct themselves in any manner or do anything they desire under grace without any restraint, without restraint of any kind or any consequences, I wrote. So can a Christian live any way he or she wants to and still be saved? Well, the answer is the Bible makes it clear that a true Christian will not live in any way he or she wants. As Christians, we are to live for Christ uh, so Christians are new creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17. In the interest of time, I'm not going to read all the verses. And the fruits of the Spirit. The Christian will demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. If you're demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, the first one of which is love, you're not going to be involved in sinful practices. Uh, Christians will not demonstrate the acts of the flesh in Galatians 5.19, which is a laundry list of terrible things that we see day to day. Uh, on the news every day, and in our neighborhoods, and in our schools, and in our families. Uh, so Christians will not live in continual sin. You see right in the middle of the page, that's where I'm at, Christians, one, two, three, four. Uh, Christians will not live in continual sins. Uh, in response to the accusation that grace promotes sin, Paul said, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? 
you know, you know how human thought beings are. Well, there'll be more grace if I sin. And, and, and Paul says, no, you're missing the point. Um, the, the, whoever abideth in sin, uh, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. It means uh, keeps on sinning habitually practices sin. Whoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither hath known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he, Christ, is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. And it goes on. Verse 9, whoever is born of God doth not habitually practice. It says commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. So we're also dead to sin, number five. How can we live in it any longer? And we are to imitate Christ. We will want to imitate Christ and develop his character. Ephesians 5.1 tells us, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. That word follower, followers means to imitate or mimic we are to be like Christ and develop his character. Um, we're not to develop Satan's character. That comes naturally. We're to develop Christ-like character. Uh, number seven, we'll love Christ and therefore obey him. First um, John uh, 4.20, if a man says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. So, and I referred to this earlier. For he that loveth his brother whom he has not seen, uh, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Um, and we are to, um, we are to, if it says, if you love, if, if you love God, you will obey him. The Lord equates obedience with love. Um, and I wanted to share one Last quote here. Okay. Caught it. Yes. Hold on. Wait. There's a, a number of people uh, out there, the Christians that consider themselves Christians because they rely on Christ and they trust in Christ, but they live in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that's the thing. If you're not, if you habitually practice sin, you need to examine and see if you're a Christian. You know, because Christians want to do these type things. Um, want want not to sin here. In fact, that's what a quote I was going to read. So when you say when you so when you say to someone who says it's MacArthur. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean I need to go to this event and that event? Is that how I guarantee my place in heaven? Do I need to do these rituals and say these prayers and recite these things, light these candles, etc., etc.? Paul said, no. You'll want to be with God's people. You'll want to be with the body of Christ, the church. You'll want to worship the Lord because you're going to love him. You're going to love his people. You're going to love his word. And you want to do all of that. But no external activity contributes anything to you that somehow Christ hasn't already done. When you give your life to Christ, that's it. 
That's the full package. And you'll come like today because your heart brings you, because you want to sing, you want to fellowship, you want to rejoice, you want to share, you want to enjoy the ministry that goes on because you love the things that Christ has given you. There are always those legalistic people who say, well, Christ isn't all and you have to do this and that and you have to do this and you have to do the other or you're not going to make it. True spirituality is based on those things you do, externals. He says in verse 16, don't let anyone act in judgment on you on that stuff. It's Christ and it's only Christ. So if somebody loves Christ, they're going to want to be like him and do what he wants them to do. If they love him, they will obey. If they're not coming to church, if they're not doing things, they need to examine whether they're saved.